0: Time Studios in Africa's richest square mile. This is the Santon Times Podcast with your host. Alexander.
1: Well, after such a great intro, you can take the rest of the week off. Have an early weekend. And uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. It's the Santon Times Podcast, episode 42, week 8. And it's the last week of February. It's my birthday week. Hooray. What a good week that is. And uh, we're about to head into March. Can you believe it? For 2021. Well, wherever you're listening, wherever you're streaming, uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. You can connect with us on editor at santontimes.co.za if you've got anything to share, to share uh, make part of the show. Please use that email address and uh, get in touch. You can also connect with us on social media at Santon Times and our blog is still under construction but you can visit the website, leave your email address and you'll be the first one to know once that site is up and running. We've got some great opening launch, reload, refresh specials. So if you're looking to advertise uh, to Santon and beyond, well, make sure you're on the SantonTimes.co.ca. You can subscribe, share and leave a review or rating for this podcast on whatever platform you use and it really does help It uh, Grows the community. It makes sure that you know we rank well, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's amazing how this podcast has grown from month to month, from week to week. So it's all because of you. It's all because you make the effort, and it really takes like two seconds, and it makes such a difference. Well, I'd like to welcome you wherever you are in Santon or Greater Santon and beyond. We had some listeners this past week in Germany, Zimbabwe, United States, Qatar, and Greece. You're all welcome, and all is well in Santon land, And I'm sure we cannot wait to have a lot of you you visit Santon again when the time is right big week this week well apart from my my birthday it's uh, also been uh, the week of the budget speech and we'll chat about that a little bit uh, in the show and uh, once again thank you to all of those sending in their feedback on the sound of the podcast and also the content keep it coming we take everything into account and we just try and make it better and better and uh, yeah it it just at the end helps us all well what's coming up in this week's show well we catch up with the team at indica communications to look at this week's budget speech through the lens of a small business then uh, the owners of Santon city and nelson mandela square liberty two degrees well we chat to the ceo who will be giving us some insights into their results that they released this week then love island south africa is about to hit our shores on television and we chat to the host Leandi durant and uh, if you've ever wanted to think more like a billionaire well we've got just the book for you keep listening right now it's time for us to catch up with our weekly dose of news and it looks like we got some new toll fees lined up so from the first of march 2021 next week you will pay 272 rand in toll fees to drive between Johannesburg and Durban and a trip to or from Cape Town will cost you about 197 rand reports my broadband uh, transport minister Fakilim balula has approved toll tariff increases as recommended by the South African National Roads Agency Sanral so keep an eye out for that if you're heading to any of those places uh, and you're taking a drive then there's some new names for the Eastern Cape so South Africa woke up to the news that the Sport, Arts and Culture Minister has announced a number of changes for towns, cities and airports in the Eastern Cape. Uh, The most notable change in the Eastern Cape province is that of Port Elizabeth, which is known as Rabeja. Then the Port Elizabeth International Airport is known as the Chief David Sturman International Airport and East London Airport is known as the King Palo Airport. I think that's how it's pronounced. Palo? Yeah. Artist the Kiffness took to YouTube to aid with some of the new name pronunciations, which are still hotly debated. <coughs> Port Elizabeth. King Williamstown. Maclear. Port Elizabeth. King Williamstown. Maclear. Port Elizabeth. King Williamstown, Maclear. Now you know. <laughs> you can have another listen to that. Maybe you, uh, you can try and uh, pronounce those. But those are the new names of some of the towns in uh, the Eastern Cape. Earlier I had a chance to speak to attorney and partner with Adams & Adams, Darren Olivier, to understand the magnitude of changing a name or a brand. Let's take a listen
2: they both direct costs and indirect costs for changing a, a name. So direct costs in the name of, of a, you know streets and and names of cities, you can imagine road signs, maps. There's a considerable amount of, of rebranding that has to take place. Physical cost of changing things, letterhead. It means every single company within that area has to change their letterhead to reflect the new name. Uh, so there's a, the cost directly for the city itself, the municipality, whoever looks after the change of road signs, et cetera, plus, you know, the companies there, the citizens there having to rebrand, plus those others that reflect that. So, if you know, if you just traveled from on, a, on a flight, you think about the airports have to now change, whether it be if it's an international airport, Heathrow has to also change its name to reflect, you know, the local destination. So there's a, there is a considerable amount of, Kind of knock-on costs to to and those are direct costs of, of changing the name of, of let's say a city, and then indirect costs is uh, that you one has to look at you know what you're losing you know you built up a brand over many years people uh, recognize that brand as meaning something and it may attract tourism it may make it easier to travel there and etc and you lose that when you change. Uh, and you don't go through a rebranding process. So it's not a gradual change, especially if it's a, an immediate change one has to, one loses that. And that's an intangible cost really uh, and difficult to determine what that cost is. And of course, now we're speaking about costs. Uh, I just want to reflect there's, there's a counterbalance to that is also obviously the value of, of the change. Now, uh, people change names of whether it be companies, whether it be towns, cities for various reasons. And uh, what, there's also a, a an indirect value of that change to the citizens of that particular town or, or, or city, and one has to weigh that up against, you know, the, the the costs involved, especially over the long term. So that's how one looks at it. In in the name of a company, one one will, you know, when you do a rebrand, you'll you'll take your budget and you might set aside a, a an amount uh, proportional to your turnover for doing the rebrand and then you 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 register all the names as trademarks etc on the legal side to get your title deed to that brand and then you you build in a a marketing strategy that supports the you know the education of the public to that change of name and so there's there's an element of, of budget that's allocated towards that and that's how you make sure that the that the goodwill is shifted to the new name and hopefully that enhances business and in the same way one would do that for if it's well planned out for a for a province or or a city, uh, one should have a budget allocated to that. One should obviously communicate to all its citizens. Um, in some cases, one one might even have some type of um, you know rebate for local local companies having to change their letters because company letterheads have to reflect the address of the registered address of that company. So. Um, so that all goes into it and, you know, then one would, one would hope that uh, they've, they've done significant research in it uh, for the adoption of the new name, that it, it, it speaks to the values of that community and enhances their ability to uh, grow as a city creates uh, jobs, etc. Going forward,
1: would something like this be fairly immediate, or would there also be a bit of provision to kind of have almost like a, a transition period where people might carry either both names of the town or both names of the city, or maybe have a a year or two years to to eventually change over everything? Because to suddenly just throw out all your business cards and all your letters and uh, you know, <laughs> by Monday morning be you know whatever it is. Uh, that must be quite a challenging exercise, never mind renaming an airport that has flight codes or IATA codes or whatever it is that they have to adjust as well.
2: Correct, and uh, it, it, it should be. there should be migrated. So, you know, in the, in the name of a town, there's also got, you know, there's some safety concerns as well. Um, uh, it's, one has to communicate where it is, how you're going to get there, um, maps. Um, y- you can imagine if, if people became confused there could be safety concerns. For that reason, safety and and obviously inconvenience and cost, you know, companies suddenly having to change all their letterheads is is quite a costly business. It it impacts, apart from being an inconvenience, it's a direct cost and an indirect cost of actually having to do that. And so, yes, one would normally expect there to be a transition period uh, for companies to to do that and for for names of of, of streets to do that, and for them generally to be a a rebranding effectively.
1: And then I guess there's the the budget that has to be put behind trying to now educate not only sort of the people living in these towns but also people who are not familiar with these towns about the new name and I mean we can go back into things like uh, uh Peking, or we can go into um Jeez, Sa- wasn't Saigon you expected on it was <laughs> yes. and, and then now it's or, Rory, or you know
2: Yeah you know, so so I guess
1: there's that exercise of having to now teach people the new name and and kind of what it means and how it's pronounced and all those things.
2: Yeah, of course, there has to be, Uh, and it's normally a you know in a corporate world there's a uh, there's a big marketing campaign that goes along with it. So if you think of Apps has changed, rebranded subtly uh, recently, there was a, a significant marketing campaign that went along with it, and that's designed to educate to educate about the new brand, what it means for people to identify with that name. And so it becomes meaningful and it and it has value. So effectively you're growing a brand that reflects the the the, the values and business propositions of that place name or company. And if you look at it like that, and, and we even see, you know, you get companies like the Extreme Sports Channel, but they, they have a what a licensing scheme where one can become an extreme sports destination. So they then license the the extreme brand to 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 towns to bolster their uh, tourism for extreme sport. And and you think that's that's quite far out there, but cities even like Kimberley have become a skateboarding mecca and, and so an extreme sports uh, aura is attracted and then they co-brand these cities. You have brand finance who have just, they're, they're launching, I think this next week or so, where they value the, the, the brands of countries and where they are relative to each other in the world. And it's just reflected in the name. So South Africa and, and the rebranding exercise to the Rainbow Nation, reflected very well. And, and, the, and the, you know, the, the symbolism from the old flag, for example, uh, the, you can see how, how names and, and symbols reflect very much on, on the brand of that company and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to reflect with that brand.
1: Well, Darren, I really appreciate you making the time to chat to us about this. Uh, I don't think it's the first or the last time that we are going to be seeing uh, names changing or brands changing or any sort of uh, symbolism changing. And it all has to kind of follow some sort of paper trail. So thank you so much for making the time. And uh, I hope we get to chat again soon. Super. Thanks
2: for having me.
1: Right, then the driving school protest in Santon, the National Driving School Association of South Africa, staged a protest outside the Santon Licensing Centre this week, reports Jacaranda. The association is unhappy with the online booking system for driver's licences, which it claims has had a negative impact on businesses. Well, let me tell you, I think even before all of this, that online booking system, I kid you not, I had to renew my driver's licence, I think it was last year, two years ago, 2019, It was so difficult to try and get a slot. I mean, the only one you could get was somewhere in Nigel or or some other place that was about two hours away. You basically had to take a day out of your life to just go apply or do whatever it is that you need to do. And then obviously you have to go and fetch it again. So you'll have to take two days leave just to get your driver's license sorted out if you wanted to get it done in a reasonable amount of time. So here comes the story. Down in Cape Town on a business trip, I decide I need to get this sorted out. Go to the Cape Town Drivers Department or the Traffic Department. Within 45 minutes, I had everything done. I got an SMS to tell me what needs to happen, how it needs to work. Two weeks later, I had another SMS to say your driver's license is ready. You can come collect it. I had somebody courier it up from Cape Town. It was quicker and more efficient to go to another city and have it done than to have it done through this whatever strange system that they've got going in Johannesburg. So (laughs) there's a lesson learned. Unbelievable. Back to the story. So the the association is unhappy. The spokesperson for the Marlboro Driving School Association, uh, Mereki Lekhodi, says the learners are expiring. We don't have learners bookings and we don't have drivers bookings. Online booking doesn't work for us. All they're giving us as driving schools is 20% a week and these are bookings on Tuesdays only. Our businesses are on level five of lockdown. We are demanding that all licensing departments must open on a full operation so that we can get slots. So there you have it. Um, Yeah. I don't know if it was a hell of a lot better before, but it seems to be a hell of a lot worse now. Then Santon Police nab six suspects uh, believed to be part of the Rolex gang. So the Santon Chronicle reports that six men aged between 29 and 47 driving two cars, one a White Honda Civic and another Silver Opal utility, believed to be scouting for victims with expensive watches, were monitored by police from corner to corner. They were cornered by police at the corner of Western Service Road and Woodlands Drive in Woodmead in possession of two unlicensed firearms one hijacked motor vehicle linked to a case in santon uh, and a suspected stolen watch and suspected stolen cell phone a lot of corners a lot of suspects but it looks like they're in court, they're going to court, and uh, let's see what happens. And then uh, almost 15% of the offices owned by Redefine, one of SA's biggest landlords, are now standing empty. Business Insider reports that uh, Redefine Properties, which owns more than 300 large properties, including big malls throughout South Africa, say the vacancy rate in its office buildings is now 14.7%. The vacancy rate has increased by 44% since 2019. That is, quite a number. The US office-sharing giant WeWork, which opened its first African location in Redefine's Rosebank Link building in 2019, has reduced its occupancy in that building to 62%, while at the 155 West Street building, WeWork now only has 26% of the building. A News24 article reports that Redefine might also consider converting some existing offices into co-working spaces and bring in amenities such as childcare facilities, laundromats, and coffee shops to its office buildings, which Sounds like a really good idea. I suppose that's something that could attract people back. Is that, uh, you know, they might say, look, you know, working from home has limits in terms of when you have kids. So maybe a childcare facility might be quite attractive, laundromats. I don't know. Let's see. And then finally, Patrice Mutzepa has released a 10 point plan ahead of the CAF president elections. Launching his manifesto at the Santon Convention Center, he highlighted how he wants to make his mark as the head of Africa's football mother body. Reports Soccer Ladouma. The Mamalodi Sundown's owner has received backing from Kasafa, which has the most voting bloc among the CAF member associations. And he also travelled to the recent FIFA Club World Cup held in Qatar to canvas for more support. And those are your news stories in Santon for this week. You're listening to the Santon Times Podcast. So, The Saturn Times uh, teamed up with uh, a new and young uh, communications company called Indica Communications, and uh, we've got some exciting plans for the year. You know, it's about teaming up, it's about collaborating, it's about figuring out how to uh, reinvent business, how to... uh, Do things differently as we've learned to do over twenty twenty and going into twenty twenty one. And we've all realized that things are just going to be different as we go forward. They're also gonna be digital, I might add. To join me and to have a a really robust conversation and to catch up with my my fellow collaborators. I've got Cindy Lee Minar and Ashmika Naidu on the line. Hi, Alex. It's good to to chat to you guys. I know it's yeah, we're well into the new year, so I'm not going to say Happy New Year or anything like that. But it's I think our first proper chat uh, in in 2021, so uh, it's good to catch up with you again.
3: Yes, thank you yeah, for definitely. having us. Okay, great. Look forward
1: to it. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to navigate this uh, this trio talk. Uh, maybe let me kick off uh, with you, Shmika. How's uh, Indica Communications been going? Uh, how's, how's how have you come out of 2020?
2: Yeah,
3: it's been going good, Alex. Um, You know, in my opinion, it's been been going well. I mean, you know, in general, I think the pandemic has had an effect on everyone. But um, thankfully, you know, for Cindy and I, as you are aware, we saw the gap in the markets during the pandemic and um, That's where we really saw the need for small businesses and us being that same small business owner, that same entrepreneur, we realized that, you know, we have the same need. So, um, you know, let's jump on it now and let's help others. And um, before we knew it, you know, with the blink of an eye, our business just started growing
1: well that's good news you don't hear many growth stories um during 2020
3: you know i disagree i think that people just don't um i think they don't share it in a hurry
1: <laughs> okay all right
3: <laughs> good businesses sharing i mean that's my personal opinion i think there are good businesses that are growing and um you know i think we just don't hear of it because the news is so um it's so saturated with negativity you know um that pe- that they don't easily share a good news story anymore
1: well, I think an interesting point that you make there, and uh, I'll, I'll uh, take my, my comments under uh, advisory there, but uh, you... you- you're so true in that a lot of companies have good stories to tell, but they just don't tell them. And it's kind of almost like perception is reality. So if you're not going to share your good news stories or some of the successes you have had, and maybe, you know, in this time, people are a little bit hesitant because they don't want to be the one gloating and saying, oh, you know, we, we did a great job. But nonetheless, I think it's important to tell those good stories. And people are often very hesitant to do that.
3: Exactly. And I think that's the problem, you know, small business owners specifically and entrepreneurs, you know, they look to other businesses, whether it's small like themselves or whether it's bigger companies, but they look for that for that kind of advice and that expert, you know, that expert voice to just lead them. And um, I think that that's what's lacking for me.
1: Well, one of the other things that we had uh, this week as well was uh, budget, the budget speech. Uh, I I was a bit worried. I thought this was going to be a little bit of a bloodbath because we'd spent so much money over the last 12 months. Uh, Where was government going to get all this money back from, uh, apart from the fact that we weren't in great shape going into this pandemic? Uh, Cindy Lee, you had some some thoughts on this.
4: With the unemployment rate already being sky high, like it's 32.5%, we would probably need some some kind of stimulus from government or some sort of support as small businesses from government. And there hasn't been that. So we haven't seen any of uh, like kind of support allocated specifically for, for small businesses. We had a look. Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, it, it boils down to that at the end of the day, it's going to be up to us. At the end of the day, it's going to, we're going to have to depend on our, and our own resources and our own capabilities to actually to move the needle for ourselves and and it's a bit surprising because a small business contributes a significant portion to the country's GDP so you know I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm wondering why wouldn't government do do more why wouldn't it allocate
3: more budget towards supporting that and growing that.
1: Asmika your thoughts on that?
3: So Alex, you know, in my opinion, I listened to the budget speech yesterday, I also did a lot of reading online just to see what people are saying. And in my opinion, I thought, you know, the budget speech was very thin. I expected much more talk to be given about the economic instability caused by the pandemic and, you know, what they're going to do, you know, in relation to small businesses. Um, I feel that because of the broken economy, small businesses should be playing a key role, you know, which, which they do. Um, But it should have been spoken about in the budget speech. it should have been discussed about how small businesses can help to rebuild the economy, um, you know, because they weren't part of the agenda. Um, So many jobs were lost in, in the small business sector, so many closed down even. So I personally would have liked to see a plan from government to say, you know, this specific sector was ruined. And, you know, this is what we're going to do because that's our key driver. So I was pretty, I was pretty disappointed about that. I mean, the one good thing that came about it was, um, you know, it was good to hear that the Department of the Small Business Development allocated the 4 billion rand townships and rural enterprises. That was great. Um, But, you know, we'll only find out the details about that today. The president is going to discuss that. But, you know, I just I just felt very saddened about it. I think also what was lacking was there was there wasn't much talk about technology. And I felt that it was very disappointing because given the current pandemic that we're in, Um, you know everything is digital and especially for the small business owner you know they had to go through quite a lot to become digital and to suddenly you know not be customer facing anymore so it was good to see that you know SARS, for example you know they they spoke about tax provisions for remote working because i mean that's that's where we are and you know but we hope that um, that 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 opens doors for small business owners to become more digital enabled if they aren't there already
1: you know, it's interesting you, you mentioned these uh, these points around uh, small business and uh, and the budget speech. It's so funny. I mean, I spent over a decade in, uh, in business media and uh, the conversation we had every single budget day was... Uh, you know, are they going to do some sort of tax relief or some sort of incentive to grow small businesses? I mean, if we look at an economy like Germany, majority of the businesses are Uh, family-owned. I mean, you still have someone's grandmother or someone's mother or father still sitting and running the board of a lot of the biggest companies in Germany. And, uh, you know, it's those small to medium-sized businesses that make up that economy. And I think in South Africa, there's very much a a very similar pattern in terms of those people who can create jobs because I don't think the the big state-owned enterprise are definitely not going to add any more jobs, uh, I think, of of quality. I mean, they're just employing people because they have to, uh, you know, employ people. Uh, But, uh, you know, in terms of creating new jobs, it is a small to medium-sized businesses. And funny enough, coming back to the story about, uh, you know, discussing this every single budget day, every single budget day, we always said we need to put together a panel discussion around this because if they don't mention it, Then we have to ask ourselves why is this not being discussed and if they do mention it then great then we've got something to talk about but every single year there's small to medium-sized businesses just sort of i don't know it's just left off the off the table
3: yeah i was actually going to say when you mentioned um the big enterprises being unable to you know employ and if they do employ it's because they just kind of have to the other thing to keep in mind is that you know a lot of millions and billions out of their budget is now going towards helping the government buy vaccines so you know they're not looking to you know help the small business owner in my opinion at least i think that you know priority has now shifted to make sure that you know society is safe
1: yeah well Um, i mean when i when i say big business i'm talking about state-owned enterprises i mean we've already heard how many people escom has unnecessarily employed i mean we see what's going with on with saa i mean there's a whole list transnet i mean we can go through the the whole state owned enterprise sort of inventory Mm -hmm. and just see as to how many people are really needed and how many people are really, you know, doing what needs to be done. Um, and, and, you know, for the people who wouldn't be needed there, where are they going to work? Are they going to start their own businesses? At the moment, there's not really much of an incentive for that. And uh, are they being employed by these small to medium-sized businesses? That's you know, And, and, and those small to medium-sized businesses are trying to just stay above water at the moment.
3: Exactly. And I think that, you know, for the small business owner or for people who want to start opening the business, you know, they should definitely do it. I think this is the time to do it. I don't think that the pandemic should, um, you know, hold people back. I think that Indica Combs is a good example of that. Um, I think that there are so many tools available to just get up and do it, to just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do it. Yes, you absolutely can. Um, you know, we're loving proof of that. So you know, I don't think that we should look at um, you know at the budget speech as something to be so negative. Um, Although it is, you know, it is a negative thing for small businesses. But I think that you know, as an entrepreneur, if you really want to do it, this is the time to do it, and you just you don't wait. Just do it. Do it now.
4: You know what? I even (laughs) encourage um, whoever, even if you've got a, a a job at the moment. Don't get so comfortable in your job that that's your only um, source of income. I think that it's really, really, really important to diversify uh, your income streams, especially in uncertain times. And just depending on a job and depending on that one salary is actually um, risky. It's it's riskier than, <laughs> it's riskier, believe it or not, to depend on your job as your sole income than it is to start a business and try and and hustle it out out there. So I would encourage people, whether they uh, are unemployed or employed, to to just start. And like Ash said, there's many resources out there. Most important thing is really just to make up your mind about it. You need to just say to yourself that you are going to do it. Write down a couple of things. I mean, it may seem like this small because, oh, the economy, this, and, you know, oh, what can I do? there are many things that one can do. There are many needs. That's, that's the beauty of a crisis is that it presents a lot of problems. And where there's a problem, there's a solution. You just need to find yourself where you fit in, in terms of the solution. Um, and, and, and I mean, look at yourself authentically, look at yourself, what your interests are, what your experience is, what your uh, knowledge is. I and mean, then just go with that. Don't wait until, don't think that you need to be some kind of um, perfect some kind of you first need to tick all these boxes before you do it just you know do it and you'll figure it out as you go along the first thing is to just make up your mind to do it
1: well Cindy Lee there's some v- very good points there as well Shmika. Uh, as we sort of round off this this interview uh, ladies as we go into 2021 any any final thoughts from your side maybe let's kick off with uh, Cindy Lee
4: Yes, uh, my final thought is best way, in my opinion, to get is to give. And I think that we need to um, support each other as small businesses, we, you know, when, whenever we have a need. And there's always some or other need that we have. First, think of what small business can I support to meet this need of mine? You're already going to be spending the money. Just apply yourself, extend yourself a little further and think or put it out there like I have this need. Is there a small business that I can support to meet my need? So that's, that's my my final thought. The best way to get is to give and that we need to support each other.
1: And uh, some final thoughts from your side?
3: Yeah, it's actually funny that Cindy said that because I was actually going to say that, you know, I think support is absolutely needed. Um, I think that you know, small business owners they don't get the support that they need. I mean, there's so much in the news about you know support needed for small business, small business, small business, small business. But you know, do they actually get the support? No. And you know, if we can't get it from big businesses, then the small business community needs to come together, and we need to help each other. Like Cindy said, you know, what services do you have where you can help the next person? You know, maybe you're not making a profit out of it, but you know, giving a helping hand, you'll get more in return at some point. We, if we make the small business community stronger then we can definitely play a key role and be a key driver for the economy and we can actually play out the role that the government speaks for us.
1: Well, I think that's a, a really positive and constructive note to uh, round off this interview on. That's uh, Ashmika Naidu and Cindy Lee Minow from Indica Communications. And we're also going to put their contact details in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to Indica Communications and maybe get some advice, some thoughts, or maybe they can even help you with getting your good story out uh, that you've got to share coming out of 2020.
0: You're listening to the Santan Times Podcast.
1: Well, a lot of us have been doing a lot of uh, online shopping. We've had our shopping delivered to us, but we've missed that mall experience, that uh, going out, seeing people. And uh, I heard a great quote uh, just before I jumped onto this interview where someone said, you know, shopping online is a transaction. Uh, Shopping in a mall is an experience. And uh, a lot of us are hoping to experience that experience again uh, more fully than we have. And Joining me on the line right now is uh, Amelia Beattie. She is the CEO of Liberty Two Degrees. They own a vast amount of retail space and uh, they have their results coming out, uh, which have been, uh, I suppose, unfavorable, but I suppose there's still hope in in the pipeline there. Amelia, good to have you on the line. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about what 2020 has been like for you.
5: People are missing that shopping experience, but it seems that they are back and that they have actually come to enjoy what they really love of Sandton City. 2020 was a tough year, uh, we set out with it starting well, and as the first case was announced, we saw a very sharp decline in both turnover and foot count during the hard lockdown. We had most of our retail closed altogether, and um, as it started opening up again, I guess people were nervous, they stayed with their online habits and other habits. and. Um, in the fourth quarter we really saw some re- encouraging recovery at Santa City, we saw only one and a half percent of the turnover down on 2019 now that's quite extraordinary so yes it was a difficult year we had to deal with a lot of issues but we were still able to pay a uh, distribution out uh, to our shareholders and in the end um, that's what's important for us our balance sheet is strong And whilst we believe that we could help where we can, um, I think the outcome was the best that we could do in a difficult time.
1: I mean, had any of your sort of risk projections, any of your assessments looking into the future, had you ever thought that you would ever have to encounter something like this? Was there anything that had ever prepared you for a situation where you would have to literally shut down everything?
5: I didn't think anybody have ever thought that that would be the case of course we do a lot of risk assessments and we plan for black swan events and all the things uh, where we test one in 50 year and one in hundred hundred year events but i don't think anybody around the world anticipated that today everything will be okay tomorrow it will change significantly and it also created some form of camaraderie against i guess uh, between people in the property industry who all dealt with the same thing People in the international uh, real estate world, we all dealt with this. They are, some of them internationally are still much more impacted than we are here.
1: I mean, in terms of the rent relief, you touched on it. Uh, That was one of the, I suppose, big uh, life vests that uh, a lot of uh, retailers tried to put on and uh, pushed as far as they could. But I guess as a property owner, there was also a limit to how much you could do there.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's a careful balance between keeping the tenant get the tenant back up and open so that they could trade and not giving too much away. As I said, we have a strong balance sheet. We have a low loan to value and that assisted us to perhaps help a little bit more. You only have to sit in front of a tenant that's a small operator or a restaurant that's got the whole life invested in that business to understand how difficult it is and we need them we need small people small tenants to be in our centers we need the big tenants to be in our centers. so we needed to find that balance to help everyone to step forward with them so that in this partnership we can get back to offering something to customers so that they can that they want to come back because As you say, online retail is great and it will continue to grow. But I think the future of retail is where those two things can live together. You have the online component, but you can come to the mall when you want to experience that walking with a bag. There's nothing that gets to that. Meeting your friends. And um, I think we are all such social beings that being together and going there and find experiences that you can't find anywhere else will will remain important.
1: Well, I had the unfortunate experience of walking through a smaller mall uh, this past week, and uh, they'd been particularly hard hit, and it's nothing worse uh, than walking through very quiet uh, space with a lot of wallpapered windows closed, you know, something hopefully opening soon. Uh, Santon City seems to have managed to uh, stay quite strong. I mean, I haven't seen much of that happening in Santon City. Uh, What's your outlook like for the rest of the year in terms of recovery in terms of uh, getting everyone back on track i know there's some talk about stourkinicore uh, being a little bit uh, you know on the on the wonky side at the moment uh, in terms of where that's going
5: yeah santa city's vacancy at the moment is two, 2.2% so of course there are vacancies and uh, those we are trying to deal with and there are new tenants that are interested in opening um, shops or restaurants and that's encouraging to see that someone has got enough trust in the environment that we have that they are willing to come and and start something new i think as i said during our results presentation we are very realistic around 2021 you can't just come out of a year like 2020 and think everything will go back to normal so whilst there are encouraging signs we understand that it will take some time to get back to to where it was before as long as we can move forward every single day we have to do something better today than we did yesterday. And so we must go on. There will be tenant, um, tenant failouts that we have to deal with. We've learned through the Epcon and through the start of its process, how we can deal with that. Stokinicore is an interesting one. You would have seen me quoted many times, places today, where I said that I believe that we have the best movies in the country. Maybe they are too much everywhere, but Santon and Eastgate are really great environments. and. Uh, When that new James Bond movie comes out, you definitely don't want to sit uh, in your lounge and watch it. You want to come to have that experience that you can only get in a movie theater. So maybe there'll be less, but we really hope that they can actually continue to survive because the customers need that.
1: I mean, to some extent, you've built up an, a, an incredible brand around Santon City. I suppose it's one of the, you know, the d- diamond in the crown when it comes to uh, shopping destinations in South Africa, uh, having had the history that it has, having the location that you've got. I mean, a lot of that business was also coming from a lot of overseas tourists, which you don't have at the moment. But what is driving Footfall into a mall like Santon City apart from brand? Is it a, a particular art to the way you've uh, curated those uh, tenants, uh, you know, are people gravitating towards a more a food experience rather than a clothing experience? What is that that sort of secret sauce?
5: I think it's a combination of so many things. Um, for me, I, I always say that Santon belongs to the people of Johannesburg. I think everybody in Joburg knows Santon. People are proud of it because it's such an institution. It's been there for such a long time. And you would have remembered the ad that Liberty had a few years ago that showed the car in the open field where they opened the plants and people of Santon feel that loyalty towards it because they feel that they've been part of, of seeing it grow. But it's really those little extra things that make the difference. I mean, we've got the large anchors in there and they are really the best of those tenants um, that we have in Sancton. But it's putting those extra little ingredients in those independent tenants doing events that are a little bit different, uh, creating an environment that is well. Santon also received a six star green rating. Now that is a world leading achievement. And that just means that it's an environment that is well, that is safe, that is healthy. And all those things together, and of course we have a great team on the ground there that manages that center. They really know what they are doing, they're passionate about what they are doing, and they give that little extra every day so that the people that come there can experience this mall as really a great iconic environment.
1: I mean, one of the things that became quite clear during this pandemic and during this time of business uh, shutdown is how Santon was always very interdependent of each other. I mean, if you speak to any of the hotel owners, if you speak to any of the other sort of attractions, they were there because someone else was there as well. So if it wasn't the convention center, it was the Ghao train. If the Ghao train wasn't there, then somebody else was dependent on someone else. Did you find that there was a moment where, you know, you connected with a lot of the other people, that there was some sort of conversation within the bigger Santon precinct with all the other sort of stakeholders to say look you know what we're we're all on the same boat here but we need to figure out how do we piece this all back together again
5: no absolutely i mean uh, you will know from our vision that we say that we believe in a precinct focused strategy so the precinct always for us is a really important part of how we manage these environments they don't just stand on their own and happen all by themselves we have a close relationship with um, the SofaSan group and we have the hotels um, and the convention center with them. And that, together with Nelson Mandela Square, that we also um, own next door um, and our partners Pareto in, in Sandton City. We all collaborate all the time because we need each other. Um, the hotels need us, we need those people. Um, the convention center, unfortunately, is closed, and who knows when the travel will open up again. If we had a glass ball, it would be wonderful to say, you know, we believe that by June we'll have conventions there again. And will conventions ever be the same? I, I think there's new opportunities because you have now learned that you can do things differently, you don't have to all sit in a hall together. You can actually have a convention where people are together and people are all also separate. So. I think there's a lot of new opportunities that come from this. Of course, we are concerned about not all the offices returning and that the bigger Santon might have some excess uh, office space. We've had, Santon also in part in the past used to be successful because of the number of offices around and people over lunchtime would just pop in and, and come and get their things. But now people come at other times. So I think there will be continued collaboration we don't believe in we know it all and we can just operate in our own we truly believe in collaboration and partnership and working with the people in the precinct to do what's best for the greater santan precinct
1: well uh, amelia BCC of liberty two degrees i think that's a very uh upbeat note to uh, end our conversation thank you so much for joining me for this interview and uh, i wish you all the best i'm sure we'll still chat uh, later on in the year to see how things are progressing and how that recovery is coming along
2: sure
5: thank you very much for having me
0: connect with the santan times email
1: editor at santantimes.co.za well, so Eminent is really piling up the uh, reality TV shows this year. I don't know what happened. If it's last year, it was just like a very quiet year. So this year, they had to decide to just put it all together, throw it all out in 2021. But we've got another one lined up. It's Love Island, South Africa. And if memory serves me correct, I think the English came to South Africa. Well, historically as well. But for this particular show, I think they shot some of uh, their English version of Love Island uh, in South Africa. But this is now the South African Love Island, so this is not some other international show shooting in Cape Town, it's us shooting in Cape Town, and it's kicking off on the Sunday the 28th of February, and the host of the show joins me right now, she's Leandi Durant, and we're going to chat about the show, Leandi, great to have you on this podcast.
6: Thank you, Alex. What a privilege! Or Alexander, as we have established.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leon de Durand, uh, thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, now we've got all the the pronunciations and names out of the way. Uh, I wanted to check with you. Uh, you know, you seem very excited about this uh, the show coming up.
6: I am super excited, Alex. I mean, it's an international franchise and hit show, as you've mentioned. Now, it's been done um, in UK, Australia. Um, and the US, most popular ones. Um, and now we get to do it in South Africa, you know? And like you said, the UK came here to film two other seasons. That, that has to say something about South Africa. I mean, we are the most beautiful country. We're really the most beautiful country. And I believe we have the most beautiful people and we are multicultural. So you can just imagine the excitement um, and entertainment that's going to come. i um, bringing all of these people together in our beautiful country.
1: Okay, so let's talk through the format because I know there's a lot of people who are familiar with the show. There's also quite a few people who are not familiar with the show. And always when there's something that's now a South African version, a lot of people tend to jump on it because now they've never watched the international one before, but now this could be quite interesting. So take us through. Is it, is it shot live? So are we watching it in real time or is this pre-recorded and we're watching it, you know, two or three months later? This
6: is live. So if anything, the delay, what you see is only by six hours. Every day, we've got a 300 crew um, that's working during the night, compiling the best hour and a half of what happened every day. So that will be showcased every night from Monday to Friday at half past nine on Mnet, And then Sunday after the movie on Mnet, we will have the unseen bits. Um, So then there will be like a special show. It's only this Sunday um, on the 28th where we will have the live first episode um, from 8 p.m. just to introduce all the the islanders to everyone, to get them coupled up so that we can get stuff in motion. But yeah, that's basically how it's going to work.
1: So then from what I understand, you're actually in sort of a, a lockdown lockdown, quarantine sort of bubble that they've put you in so everyone's gone into almost like this vacuum lock and uh, you guys are now sort of removed from the rest of the world a bit like the truman show and you're now sitting in this (laughs) virtual bubble until such time as you come back into the real world
6: yeah more or less like that i mean i have been isolating for a week that's why i put on such a nice dress for you alex uh, No, I can't wait to to go out and and meet the islanders on Sunday. But we obviously have to be safe because all of these people are going to be spending time together. And until they haven't been together for a while and been isolating together, we have to make sure that they are healthy when they come into the villa on Sunday. And especially because I am so much with them on Sunday, the first episode. Thereafter, I only come in once a week. I will be like the change agent to bring a surprise or to mix things up a little So, obviously, I still have to stay safe. Even though I don't live with them in the villa, I have to protect myself because I can come in once a week and we don't want me to, um, yeah, to not be able to do that. So, we are kind of stripped from reality and the real world and we're really going into this secluded space. And it's an island of love. That's what it is, Alex.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we're going to get into that because now I need to understand how the rest of the show works. So, you've got x amount of guys and x amount of girls and they're now all thrown together into this mansion um where they all live or congregate together i'm assuming in this house is that correct
6: so let me give you the one-liner to sum up what exactly love island is okay so love island south africa is where 10 of SA's hottest singles will spend six weeks looking for love in a secluded villa but It's very easy finding a partner. Finding a perfect match is a bit harder because in order to stay in the competition, you have to stay in a couple. But now you might be asking, but there's five girls and five boys. How are they not going to be in a couple? That's where I come in once a week. Or if they feel I need to come in more, I will bring in a bombshell or another guy. Or I will bring someone new in to mix things up a little bit. And then we will have like a recoupling once or twice a week. It's a surprise. The islanders never know when this will happen. I decide when I want to do that by watching what's happening, you know, inside the villa. And then after that recoupling, obviously some person will be dropped and that person will be asked to leave the villa. So in order for you to stand the chance of winning the cash prize of one million rand, you have to stay in a couple in the villa for six weeks until the finale, which is 11 April.
1: Okay, now I think we're all on track as to how this is going to work. And I can see already the, the, the issues that are coming up because uh, it might sound great the first week you are with Tiffany or you're with Jason and things are going lekker, and suddenly... Uh, you know, Tiff, uh, Jessica rocks up or, you know... Uh, There's a Tiff between Na- you and Tiff. Yeah, uh, and Nat- <laughs> yes. Natasha rocks up out of nowhere. She's the, <laughs> you know, former uh, grand model of, you know, some fantastic photo shoot or calendar. And suddenly the whole world just falls apart. And suddenly, you, you know, you, you're out. The music stops and you're left without a chair. So this could be quite interesting. But, I mean, this is quite a bit to watch. If you're watching this Monday to Sunday, uh, every day... Uh, there's quite a bit to, that has to happen every day. I mean, it's not like Big Brother where you're just watching people sleep.
6: Yeah, no, of course. So obviously they will have during the week, the only communication they have to the outside world is via this phone that will be given when they enter. And only there's one person that will communicate with them and they will always communicate via a text. That's the only communication they will have with the outside world. And right. that text will say, you will now have a challenge or Alex and the Andy go to the poolside, we have a challenge for you there, or go do this. So there's lots of challenges that will happen, that will bring out emotions, that will get discussions flowing, and will help these couples to get to know each other well. And that will make the stuff a bit steamier, you know? And the other thing is, Alex, they all sleep in the same room. The seven beds are all next to each other. So they'll be taking on challenges together, they'll be living together, they'll be sharing a bed together and you never know, eyes may start to wander, heads start to turn, minds maybe change, you might find something out about someone that you don't want to be in a couple with them anymore, so that when the bombshell, bombshell comes, you will be all too glad that she will pick you, or hope that she will pick you, you know, and it's not always the same for the partner that you're with, maybe they really fell in love with you, and so, you know, these tips start happening, you know what happens when same people are In a space together for so long It's like Lord of the Flies It's like like lockdown (laughs) So people's true colours start coming out You know I mean life is entertaining Real life is entertaining Love is entertaining And that is where the drama lies That's It will all just It will happen naturally I'm sure it will
1: so how did you choose these contestants? I mean, I'm already getting a bit of a sense that they all have to be sort of 10% body fat, look great in a bikini or in some sort of swim shorts and have a remarkable real or fake tan depending on where they fit into the sort of the, the, the spectrum.
6: <laughs> so yes, do the above. Um, very entertaining people. I think that is the number one thing. Beautiful people, real people, multicultural, very important. But there's a whole process they had to go through. That is obviously not my baby. I didn't choose them per se. That's why we have a beautiful crew that we do have. And if there's any more information people would like to know of the show, they can go to mnets.tv. But these islanders were were chosen for a specific reason and the bombshells and everyone they're after as well. So a lot of this is strategically planned, but it's real life once again. You know, This is not a fake TV or movie where anything can happen, literally. Um, And that will change the game that second.
1: So do you get to meet all of these people for the first time on Sunday? Or have you had already sort of like a bit of a warm-up session with with, with some of them?
6: No. No, I'm meeting them on Sunday. First impressions, first time sitting with them, getting to know them, chatting to them a bit before we couple them up, uh, the girls with the boys. So it's going to be exciting for them to all see each other for the first time as well. I mean, they're isolating alone in their room at the moment. They don't even know what the other contest, or we call them islanders, what the other islanders look like. They have no idea.
1: Okay. Well, we we chatted to Jason Greer just before The Bachelorette South Africa, and he gave us some really interesting insights. He said he had to be married as the host to go onto The Bachelor or The Bachelorette for sort of very interesting reasons. I mean, I suppose, you know, with The Bachelor, you had 35 ladies and they might be like, look, The Bachelor's not so great, but, you know, Jason's quite a nice guy. Maybe we should go for coffee. (laughs) Is that the same thing with this show? I mean, did you have to be involved, single, uh, married, uh, sort of agnostic, whatever it was, to to, to, take on the show? No. Luckily, there's
6: nothing that I'm aware of that I had to, you know, like, yeah, no, there's nothing. I just auditioned and yeah, I'm just myself. That's who I am.
1: So tell us about this process. I mean, how did you get this job? You said you auditioned. I mean, was there sort of like an open mm. call or was it like a, a very specific uh, sort of thing that they were looking for?
6: They definitely had in mind what they wanted. So they requested to have to have you in the room, you know? So they were specific with the people that they wanted to see. And yeah, you have to go and you have to pretend that you are presenting the first episode. and And then they made their choice. But I mean, it's so interesting, Alex. I believe in a vision board. I don't know if you have a vision board, but I believe in living a life of gratitude. Um, and and having a vision board is seeing what you want and manifesting it to, to become a reality in your life. And it's been on my vision board for a while that I would love to be part of an international franchise or brand and be like the face, the face of it. So it's something that I've always put out there. I just... I'm so happy that it's Love Island, that it happened, because my friends love Love Island. They've been watching it, like, religiously last year during lockdown. And they, they get so involved with these couples. They get so involved with a relationship unfolding in, on TV in real life, and they actually start rooting for certain couples. It's like, it's unreal to, to see and to watch. So for me to be able to experience this now firsthand, and to be a part of it, it's just, it's such an immense blessing. And I'm so grateful for that.
1: Yeah. Well, Leandia, well, I do have a vision board. And one of the things on my vision board was to be the presenter of, of Love Island. But um, <laughs> yeah, a- anyway, it's fine. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the amazing race. So um, that'll be mine. Okay, great. I'll take that one. The universe will
2: always,
6: <laughs> the universe will give you what is best for you. So yeah, and unfortunately... Then they- love island wasn't
1: for you <laughs> what wasn't for me no no they said you don't look great in uh, crayfish uh, pattern uh, swim shorts and then i chose uh, the amazing race and then the whole world went into lockdown and international travel stopped so you see how that's oh, going goodness. but Leandi, do they connect you to some of the other international uh, love island presenters i mean is it like a whatsapp group do you get to do like a little bit of a zoom call and say look give me some tips like what works what doesn't work uh, is there a way of approaching that
6: yes we meet every day they send me pics we had like zoom wine drinking session no i'm kidding no Uh, no there's nothing nothing. like that unfortunately no but you never know after this well we're gonna be in the game so i would love to meet all of them so that's a great thing we can put on the vision board thanks alex
1: no, no problem. Anytime. That's why you, you catch up with me. Yes. Tell us a bit about, about the venue. <laughs> I know it's in Cape Town. Is there anything more you can reveal as to what it looks like or, or, or where it is? Or, oh, I suppose there's a bit of a risk now because you can't really give away where it is. Otherwise, people start rocking up at the, at the door. I mean, is that what happens?
6: Uh, exactly. I'm sure that there are people who would love to do that. So not allowed to say exactly where it is. And it will make that public knowledge if they want people to know and i mean it's secluded and it's mysterious so we don't really want people to know exactly where we are but we are in the western cape yeah maybe people will figure it out once they see the show on sunday and they see they see the surroundings maybe they are clever people who'd recognize some of the the scenery you know um it will actually be interesting people must comment and tell me if they think they know where it is yeah
1: well, I remember when uh, many, many years ago—this is going back when I first started in this, uh, in, the, in the media business—we had a show called Big Brother that came uh, online, and it was uh, phenomenal. I think I was actually in Matrick when the first season of Big Brother came out, and uh, I, remember- I remember
6: it. Tweet played <laughs> at the first episode. It was in Randberg. I was actually there. I remember. I was school.
1: So and, yeah. and I remember there was this whole story about how people were trying to figure out where this house is, and eventually, I think there was one guy who—we oh, didn't have drones, but he flew something into the into the house or he dropped something into the house and i mean then you know it was total lockdown for mnet to try and figure out how they're going to now secure this place so i really hope that you guys don't have uh, similar issues with people trying to fly their drones <laughs> or their uh, biplanes or whatever else they've got uh, you know or throwing socks over the wall or you know i wish you all the best you're saying this is running till april so you're going to be away from the, most of the world for for quite some time now
6: yes i am i will see my boyfriend luckily now and then but for yeah, most of the world, I will just be here in my beautiful apartment somewhere in Cape Town, Western Cape. Who knows where that is? Um, I'll be watching every night to see what the Islanders are up to and when I need to go in and mix things up a little.
1: Well, India, I really appreciate you making the time to chat. So that's Love Island kicks off on Sunday, twenty eighth. Uh, you said is it at uh, eight pm sharp? 8pm sharp, and uh, you want to watch this, uh, and if you get into it, well, you're going to be hooked for uh, weeks on end, because it's on every single night, and uh, there's 1 million Rand up for grabs uh, for those people who can make a couple work. And uh, quite yeah. keen to see how this goes and what the take-up is in South Africa. I mean, we've seen a lot of these things uh, do very well, especially with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and we've seen multiple uh, seasons come out of it. So for your career, I also hope that that happens because uh, then you'll be, you. you'll <laughs> be sitting in, in tropical destinations for quite some time. So, Leandie, thanks so much and uh, good to chat.
6: Thanks, Alexandra. It was lovely to chat to you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on Amazing Ray. Woop. <laughs>
0: Online, mobile, anywhere, anytime. This is the Santon Times Podcast.
1: Well, all of us want to make a little bit of money. All of us want to uh, hit it at the big time. And uh, if a millionaire isn't enough for you, well, billionaire is the next big thing. And, you know, you often go to social media and people are posting these like inspiring quotes and they've got pictures of fantastic cars. And I think it's like the ultimate thing. And a lot of people would love to be in that position where they can, you know, just do whatever they want to do you know fly golf streams around the world and and all these wonderful things but for a lot of people it often feels like it's a little bit out of reach well i came across this great new book uh, that that's hitting the shelves and uh, it seems like the kind of book that'll Get you back on track, maybe get you back to those childhood dreams, and maybe focus you on an actual strategy and a bit of a plan as to how to get there. Because it's really just, you know, a dream until you can actually put a bit of a plan around it. So I've got the author on the line right now, it's Daniel Strauss. It's great to have you on, Daniel. And tell us a little bit more about your book, The The Billionaire Mindset
7: thanks so much yeah so as the title says it's actually more of a mindset book than a business book but it does have a lot of business aspects to it as well so it's about how do you get to think more like a billionaire because they say success is not to be pursued it's to be attracted by the person you become so you have to become that person first for the success to come to you
1: and mindset is such an important thing. I mean, we can't discount that at all because it really all starts with your belief. If, if you believe you can do it and you've got the right attitude, you can get there, right, Daniel?
7: Yeah, definitely. So we talk about in the book about a, a new concept that I call thinking above the line. It is essentially thinking like a shareholder and a director, as opposed to thinking like a manager and employee in a business. To shareholders and directors, everything is possible, but to the managers and the employees, only the budget is possible.
1: Such an interesting point you raise that. I mean, for many of us who have worked in corporate, it's amazing how once you start spending a lot of time with people who have founded the business, who have run the business, you start seeing how they start looking at things very differently to those who work in the business. And also just to clarify from the the onset, is that a billionaire mindset isn't to marry a billionaire. Is that correct? This is about creating your own billions. (laughs) Yeah.
7: (laughs) I think there's different ways, but it's definitely not about how to find a rich spouse. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Well,
1: Daniel, tell us about what brought you about to write a book. I mean, you're a busy guy. You're involved in so many big things in terms of finance, in terms of business. I mean, to find the time to write a book, it's quite a commitment.
7: Yeah, so what I do is I work in the venture capital industry. And what I've found is that South African entrepreneurs, in their way of thinking, and also certain funders' way of thinking are between 20 and 30 years behind the rest of the world. We will have to change that way of thinking before we will be able to grow the economy. So it actually came out of a real need that I saw in the market for these entrepreneurs and for funders to start thinking differently about how to fund and how to grow companies.
1: And how long has it taken you to write this book? I mean, it's quite a bit of knowledge that's had to go in here. I mean, I suppose some of it's been uh, information that you've come across in your daily work. But what's the timelines been like on this book?
7: To be honest, I started about four years ago. It was slow because I was quite busy. And then at some point, I just really started to focus. I wrote about five chapters, took it to the publisher. And they said, no, they don't like, like my style of writing. And they're not going to publish it. So, that was a new process that started. So, I got a writing consultant. I sat together with the guys for long, a very long time. And I, to be honest, I'm quite proud of the product now.
1: Sure. That sounds like quite an exercise. You never think that you could get a writing consultant, but uh, obviously they did their job. Uh, The book is uh, looking fantastic. I mean, the cover looks great. I'd be interested to hear from you because especially at this time, we've seen so many people who've either been retrenched, who've been forced out of their business because things have just fallen apart. And instead of going back into employment, a lot of people will say, look, you know what? Let me become an entrepreneur. Let me try and do something for myself. What do you think is the biggest hurdle a lot of those entrepreneurs are facing? I mean, even before COVID, we've had a lot of entrepreneurs who faced very difficult hurdles that they've had to get over.
7: I think number one is the mindset of just realizing that it is actually possible. And then secondly, I think funding is a very big hurdle at the moment because you can't go to a bank to fund a business they are just not made for funding businesses due to certain regulations that changed you cannot go to the bank to fund your business so they'll have to find different ways of looking for funding
1: and and where does that funding come from because if we look at you know venture capital around the world i find that europe the us is a little bit more they're more willing to part with their money i mean still educated decisions but they're, they're more open to investing in new ideas than possibly a lot of south african businesses where it has to be almost like a 90 percent, 100 hits before they put their money on the table
7: traditionally there hasn't been a lot of capital in the south african venture capital market i think at the moment i mean the industry every day there's never ever been this much capital available in the venture capital market In those developed economies also, there is much more capital available. There's more patient funders available. So, yes, they are more open to taking more risks, but South Africa is certainly getting there. If you look at where the venture capital industry was 10 years ago as to where it is now, it has already grown significantly. Why
1: start with a billionaire mindset? A lot of people might say, listen, I'm just trying to make my (laughs) my first million, my first few hundred thousand... Why settle for a billionaire?
7: So I had a Chinese mentor uh, who taught me everything I know about venture capital. And he always said, how do you become a billionaire? Create a lot of millionaires. So that's where the mindset comes from. So it's actually the book is all about how can we as entrepreneurs help each other and create a lot of millionaires. And if you create enough millionaires through the correct structures, you will become a billionaire. That's how it works.
1: I'm starting to get a bit of a sense in terms of who you've written this book for, but in your own words, who have you written this book for?
7: Firstly, for entrepreneurs who have hit a ceiling, they feel like they are running and running and running, but they're not getting anywhere. That is the first group of people. And then also people who are thinking of becoming entrepreneurs, um, who really don't know what's going on behind the... The veil of venture capital, just to give him a little bit of a glimpse of how investors think uh, when funding your company.
1: I mean, I'd like to almost sort of take a little bit of a detour from the book right now. I mean, you've you know lived through the last 12 months. I mean, you're very active in business. It'd be quite interested to see what your temperature is of the current economy and how you see the rest of the, the year unfolding in terms of business and in terms of entrepreneurs.
7: Uh, Strangely enough, we have had our best year ever in the last 12 months. There's a very big divide between the companies that are doing well and the ones that are not. So in our entire portfolio, we only had one company that was really hit hard by COVID. We sold it, actually. So at the moment, we don't have any company that isn't either benefiting from COVID or which is unaffected by the pandemic. So we must also keep our eyes open to see how we can either go to different industries or to reposition our companies to make them, if I can call it more COVID friendly in the economy.
1: Well, I mean, I suppose you're not going into uh, the big author tour. I mean, this isn't your your next step into becoming a full-time book writer. You're still going to be staying in business. Uh, Anything particular in business that uh, is of interest to you at the moment, any particular industries or sectors that you're keeping a close eye on?
7: I think there's a very, very big opportunity in intellectual property, deep intellectual property in South Africa at this moment in time. So that's where my focus will be for the next three, four, five years.
1: Well, Daniel Charles, tell us a little bit more. Where can people get the book? Uh, I know there's a hard uh, cover or a hard copy that you can get, but there's also digital versions of it as well.
7: Yes. So on the 20th, from the twenty sixth of February, it's available in all big bookstores, and then it'll also be on Audible, Kindle, ebook, um, all of those things.
1: Fantastic. Well, Daniel Strauss, he is the author of The Billionaire Mindset, Secrets of a Successful South African Entrepreneur. And I think if you want to get the year kickstarted, started, you need to refresh your mind again, get it out of the December break and maybe get focused for 2021. I think a lot of people have been disheartened over the last 12 months and this might just be the thing that gets you you know, mentally focused again. You know, everyone's so focused on their physical, you know, fitness. But mental fitness, is such an important thing. Daniel, thank you so much for making the time to uh, be on this podcast.
0: Connect with the Santon Times.
1: Email editor at santontimes.co.za. Well, there you have it. You can email us. Don't forget to do that because it's uh, the end of this episode and uh, we always want to hear more of your stories, more of what you think. Give us some feedback on some of the shows. Like, you know, did you agree with some of the guests? Did you enjoy some of the interviews? Do all of that. You can also do it through social media. You can connect on Santon Times. Just go on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and you can DM us or just, I don't know, tag us or whatever the case is. And then also you can uh, register, you know, on the, on the website, make sure you drop off your email. You'll get uh, be the first one to know once the website is up and running again. And it's going to look fantastic. It's going to have great new features. Really excited about that. And don't forget you can subscribe, share, and leave a review or rating for this podcast on whatever platform you listen to this to. Thank you to my guests for this week. Uh, as always, making the time and, uh, you know, sharing uh, their insights and uh, some of their stories. It's a new month coming up, uh, new opportunities. Make sure you go out and absolutely smash it. Let's, uh, let's raise the roof on this year. Thank you for listening and let's connect again next week.